Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Spoon Mob Pod. My name's Ray. I am your host, uh, as usual, flying solo on another weekly restaurant review. Uh, today's episode is actually going to be about the restaurant at Meadowood, just because it's been in the news recently, because unfortunately it just burned down at the end of September uh, due to the wildfires in Northern California, Napa, uh, Sonoma County, kind of all those there. Um, there's a bunch of wineries that have burned down a couple small restaurants, obviously some residential homes and stuff too have burned down. Uh, this fire was called the glass fire. And then I think they eventually changed its name cause it merged with like two other smaller fires or something like that. But, um, the restaurant at Medwood is basically the restaurant portion of this resort in Napa Valley. And there's uh, a smaller kind of more casual restaurant kind of bar area that they have and then it's also you know a hotel so you can stay there i think there's a golf course like right there too as well uh people get married there it's kind of like an all-in-one thing pretty pricey um i don't think i ever even bothered looking up the price of what it costs to stay there but i'm sure it's like at least 500 bucks a night when it was when it was, you know, running uh, before COVID and all that stuff too. So it really goes all the way back to like 1979 is kind of when it was officially founded and opened, uh, including kind of the the restaurant aspect. Um, there was a kind of main chef that was first there. I always forget his name. Uh, let's see if I can find it here. There was a couple people before who's there now, which is Chef Christopher Gusto. And he's the one who brought along with it the Michelin stars and everything too as well once he got there. Um, before him though was, I think, Joseph Humphrey. And then before that was Vincent Natress. I think Vincent was there 05 to like 09. Humphrey was there 06 to 08. Gusto's really been running the kitchen since 2008 really. Um, there was kind of like this weird transition and people getting moved around and everything too as well once he was kind of recruited and, and brought on board. His kind of career though goes back, you know, a bit farther than that. Um, he was born in 1976, raised in Chicago, you know, grew up playing hockey, uh, kind of in the city's North Shore area kind of too. Um you know, he has a couple siblings. He was the middle child. Went to Highland Park High School in Ravina. Uh, spent summers working as a cook at this outdoor music festival, uh, the Ravina Festival, which is apparently, I don't know if it's still ongoing, but at the time it was the oldest annual outdoor music festival in the U.S. Uh, he did that for multiple summers, starting out, you know, as soon as basically he could, it was like 14 hour days. He was flipping burgers, frying chicken at the festival. Um, never really, even though he was kind of doing that throughout the summers, he never really considered a career, like a culinary career or anything. He was really still focused on playing hockey and apparently he was like really good at it too. Uh, he got like recruited to a prep school uh, out in Massachusetts to play hockey, but he wound up just sustaining too many injuries and uh, wound up, you know, never really going on to play like in college or anything like that. Um, he went to Hamilton College in upstate New York, graduated with a bachelor's degree in philosophy. Um, 
And then from there, he kind of returned to cooking. And then he wanted to go to culinary school. He asked his dad to pay for it. His dad basically said, um, you know, why don't you go work as a cook somewhere to make sure that you really do enjoy it before dedicating your entire career to it. So he moved out west to San Diego, California. He had some buddies from college that were living out there uh, in a house, kind of, you know, a bunch of guys just living in a house on the beach. Uh, he started working at a local restaurant there, and he was the only cook that kind of even cared about, like, the food the food itself. Like, everybody just cared about it going out as fast as possible, getting it to the customers, but didn't care about, like, the quality and stuff like that. Um and he was working there for a little bit. Eventually, Trey Foshi, who was a chef out there, um, kind of caught wind of, you know, here's this kid who, like, is really putting in the hours, putting in the work, gives a shit about the product coming out. Um, and he wound up bringing him on over at uh, George's at the Cove, which is over in La Jolla, California. So he worked there for a little bit, um, really was able to kind of learn from Foshi, uh, just kind of everything about being in a just well-run kitchen, essentially. And so he stayed there for three years, kind of worked his way through the kitchen hierarchy brigade. And then in 2002, he left, he went over to France. Uh, he apprenticed at Les Jardins. Um, he went to Chez Georges in Paris and La Terrasse in Côte d'Azur. And then he came back to the U.S., landed in San Francisco, started working at Daniel Patterson's restaurant, uh, Elizabeth Daniel. And then from there, he went to Campton Place Restaurant. He was the sous chef there. And that kitchen at the time was being run by Daniel Hum, who is the executive chef at the restaurant at Meadowood. And... Basically, in 2006, he wound up leaving Campton Place and took over as executive chef at uh, Chez TJ, which is this restaurant in Mountain View. And he's kind of like one of these famous alumni now. He gets kind of added to the list. But it's almost like this like restaurant that just incubates like great West Coast chefs, kind of. And people are there for about like two years, and then they wind up kind of going out on their own. And eventually a few years after that, they start getting some notoriety. Uh, just kind of seems to be the way that's worked with, with that restaurant there, um, out in mountain view. So, you know, his predecessor was Josh Skeens, who's the chef owner of Cezanne and Angler. Um, those two concepts that's his. So, you know, you're talking him, hum. Um, I forget the, there's a few other guys who, who work there, too as well not necessarily they weren't you know the executive chef but they worked under like Skeens or they worked under Cousteau or or before or after too so there's a pretty substantial alumni that comes from that restaurant um he helped when Cousteau kind of took over after Skeens left um he basically helped the restaurant get its first Michelin star and then um also its second Michelin star the, the following year and right around that time, once they got the second Michelin star, uh, there's this legendary hotel consultant named Stan Bromley. And that kind of caught his attention that, you know, there's this tiny little restaurant in Mountain View that's got two Michelin stars. Like, what's going on up there? So he kind of looked into it a little bit more. 
Um, you know, he's kind of his reputation is like a funny kind of zany, but like really driven hotel manager. Yes, he's one of the best in the business too. And he wound up recruiting Costeau to come over and take over uh, executive chef at the restaurant at Meadowood, which is in St. Helena. Uh, Joseph Humphrey was the chef there. He was leaving in January. Uh, he was going to move. He was moving to San Francisco. He took over as uh, the executive chef at the lodge at Golden Gate was kind of like his next stop in his career. So they kind of transitioned over. Um, and then Costeau, basically, once he came in, I, th- I think he started on Valentine's Day, if I remember correctly. And he uh, just kind of took everything in. And, like, there was an outdated cooking philosophy because it was like they were serving Valentine's Day, but it was like they were stuffing quail. Um, it was just kind of this old school, not in touch with the new trends of the industry. So he revamped, like, everything. He re- revamped the menu, uh, the you know, kitchen staff, the way they were doing things, the way they were creating menu. He even got new equipment and the kitchen facilities updated, uh, through ownership and management. Uh, he got their approval to spend all that money too. And then, um, so they closed for a short time so they could do all the updates and everything kind of rebrand almost. And then, um, you know, basically once they reopened, you know, they still had their Michelin stars that were acquired from the previous year. And, he just he turned it into like what it is now. I mean, he got nominated for the Best Chef Pacific James Beard Award. He was named one of the year's best new chefs by Food and Wine magazine. Um, he got a four star review from the San Francisco Chronicle uh, that was written by Michael Bauer. I think that's 2010 when that came through in February. If you want to look back for that in the archives. Um, and then eventually that fall in 2010, they got, you know, the third Michelin star, uh, too, as well. So he was the second American born chef and third youngest chef ever. Cause he was 35 at the time to basically get three Michelin stars. So not, I don't want to say like a prodigy, but that's like a really big deal. Like usually you don't get an executive chef role at like a prominent restaurant or property until you're a little bit older. Um, so he was able to kind of get in there in his early thirties and by he was 35, like had all these accolades, which is kind of unheard of at the time. It's more heard of now. Um, just because people are going out and starting their own restaurants sooner. It feels like now they're able to get kind of financing and stuff. Um, just because there's kind of this uptick, at least there was before COVID, um, in like chefs, just finding a prominent restaurant that everybody knows, going there, learning, working, moving, weren't doing the same thing in a couple of different places and getting out and opening their own and just taking the chance, uh, instead of like hanging around in different restaurants for 10, 20 years before they decide to kind of go out on their own. So they say about, I think most chefs say about on average, you want to be, be seven to 10 years in the industry before you open your own restaurant. Um, that number seems to have sped up, I think a little, but um, who knows what it'll be after COVID and everything. And once all that kind of settles down from all the closures and, and whatnot, but he wound up winning uh, the, I think the outstanding shuffle uh, or no, he's never won that. 
that James Beard Award. Uh, he's won the Outstanding Service Award, Best Chef West winner in 2013. He's been nominated for the Outstanding Chef Award the last five years running, um, at least nominated, basically since 2016. So he also opened a couple other concepts. He opened uh, a casual restaurant back in uh, 2017 called The Charter Oak. And that was with his uh, business partner from Meadowood there, Nathaniel Dorn. And they brought aboard basically at the time she was the chef de cuisine at Meadowood, uh, Katiana Hong to take over as executive chef there. She did that for two years. Um, she wound up leaving the charter oak, like I said, about two years later, she went on maternity leave and it was just kind of, she was done with the restaurant industry. She wanted to do something else. And now that she had a family and everything. So they wound up having, um, David Galati, who was basically kind of following in her footsteps, going up through the ranks in the Meadowood kitchen. And they tapped him to take over as executive chef. And he's still the executive chef of the restaurant now. He also wound up opening uh, his a restaurant over in uh, China, in Shenzhen. Uh, the restaurant is called Ensu. Um, and basically there's, uh, it's kind of like owned by this investment group, Dingyi Group Investment Firm. And there's a couple, uh, I think it's like, uh, I'm trying to check here because it, it gets kind of weird, but he, I mean, he was basically offered this and like, you know, they built this and cause Shenzhen's like this part of China that's kind of up and coming and there's a lot of money going into it. So they wound up building like this high end, like skyscraper and they need a restaurant to go in there. And they approached Casteau. They approached a bunch of other people too, but nobody really wanted to do it. Uh, and Casteau kind of, asked a few people in the industry, like what they thought about it, the situation and everything. And, and he wound up deciding to give it a shot. It's usually pretty quick with the Chinese restaurants and like Hong Kong, like either, you know, within the first two year or two, like, you know, whether or not it's going to have staying power and be a success or if eventually it's going to wind up closing shortly after that, like you kind of have to hit the ground running in any like high end restaurant in China. Otherwise they just, they just flounder, and they're usually pretty big restaurants too as well, like hundred some odd seats. So um, you definitely have to hit the ground running and know what you're doing right away. But when we went out there, I think it was 2017. Was it? Let me, I don't think it's dated. Let me see. No, 2018. It would have been May of 2018 is when we went to a restaurant at Meadowood. I had the menu up here on the wall. I just... It's not dated, but there's another one right next to it, another place that we went to. So um, it's all vegetarian. You know, they use, I shouldn't say all vegetarian, but mostly vegetarian, like 90%. It's just, you know, very vegetable forward. Um, they use all the ingredients that they grow on site at the restaurant at Meadowood's Garden. Uh, it's about, I think, like 24 seats. There's a tree in the middle of the main dining room and then the kind of all this, and it's almost like a ro like a rotunda kind of around it. It's enclosed, but all the seats kind of go around just against this kind of circular wall. Um, 
really dimly lit, but like it's really cool. Uh, it's a cool vibe in there. They have a bar out front. Like when you walk in, so when you get there, you kind of pull up almost, and it kind of feels like a country club situation. Like you pull up, um, there's like the valet stand and all that stuff. You get out, you go up a couple steps. There's this big wooden door um, that you know you'll see a bunch of photos from with the restaurant at Meadowwood, and it's pretty heavy, but. Uh, they go, you know, you go in through there and then it's kind of like this foyer where it's um, a lot of wood, kind of a lot of fur. Like it feels like a hunting lodge, but like an upscale hunting lodge, I guess. And, you know, you kind of check in, talk to them there. And then like the bar area is over to the right. I think the restrooms were over to the left. Um, and you kind of go over and it's a small bar. Like it's, I don't know, like six seats and there's a hand, two or three tables kind of in the same area too as well. Um, we want to get glasses of wine. We did the wine pairing actually too as well. Um, just cause we were in Napa at the time we, you know, probably hang out for five, 10 minutes and then they take you back. Uh, Sean was our server. He actually worked over at Manresa before it. So, cause we were talking to him about, you know, we were bouncing around all these different restaurants, um, in the area on our trip. So, you know, they just start kind of taking you through it. Like Sean was great. Um, the entire service staff, we were doing the wine pairing. So there was, I mean, it's, it's a little rough just from the standpoint of their full pours, um, of wine. And I think there was one court, there's like, there's like two courses where like there's two glasses of wine and Katie basically had to give up halfway through it was just too too much wine. I mean, it's it's a lot of wine. Um, it's a substantial amount of wine, but a lot of it's good wine, um, except for I think they had like a like a sherry towards the end, and I'm just not a fan of that. But I mean, there was definitely a couple wines that I wrote down after go there, just to see if I could find them. Um, you know, later on, I was able to find one of them. I think it was like the Robert Mondavi Reserve, which is like a red, but that's a really good wine. So check that out. Um, there's not a page for that on the website yet. I haven't, uh, I've been just trying to go through the wineries and stuff that I already have listed before moving on to kind of newer stuff. Um, but yeah, so the whole course breakdown, you know, is up there on the website on the restaurant at Meadowood page. I mean, it starts off with green almonds. There's field peas cause peas were in season at that time. They have like this like three, four week period. Same with white asparagus. The scallop was fantastic. Uh, that was one of my favorite dishes from there. Their signature dish is kind of this foie avocado. It's like foie gras inside of an avocado slice, kind of. So it's supposed to look like the pit of an avocado. The cod was really good too as well. Um, the broth that came with the beef. The we the one thing that I think we kind of both didn't really care for was the chocolate uh, spring pine. So it comes out in this giant pine cone that they cut in half, um, and then they pull the top off, and it's this kind of chocolatey mousse kind of almost, but it has a real vegetative flavor. It's very herbaceous uh, because it's made from vegetables. Like there's no. I don't think there's any actual chocolate in 
you know, the quote unquote chocolate. So that was kind of the only dish that I was like, just really not fond of. <laughs> um, it's just, it was really weird. Uh, the beans and caviar dish as well was kind of like, uh -huh. I mean, I'm just not a big beans person, but the whole thing is basically to accentuate what's in season at that moment. So their menu changes pretty frequently too as well, or it did um, when the restaurant was fully up and running. It is a really cool restaurant. Um, you know, it's hard to say like, would I go back? It's like, it's easy to say now, no, because been there once, obviously it's burned down too as well, but it is a little difficult to get there. I mean, you gotta, you can't, there's no direct flight into Napa. So you either fly into Oakland, drive up there, San Francisco, you can drive up there. You can take a ferry up from San Francisco to Mission Viejo and then from Mission Viejo, take like an Uber or something. Um, you can fly into, I think Sonoma too as well and then rent a car and drive over. We wound up, I think we stayed in Sonoma, I think at the time, cause it was significantly cheaper. And then, and then, yeah, we just took the Uber and it's, I mean, it's a, a little lengthy of a drive. I mean, it's like 30 minutes or something, um, you know, between where we were staying and, and the restaurant itself. So, but like we were drinking and, you know, we didn't want to deal with it. And at the time we didn't know this, but during the trip, they have this thing called, um, this like music festival. I think it's called like bottle, bottle rocket, bottle pop, something like that. And it's basically this annual music festival, music and wine festival thing. We didn't know anything about it. We didn't know what was going on when, when we were going there. And that's why, you know, a lot of the hotels were booked or the ones that were open, like had raised their rates just because they knew all these people were going to be coming in. So, that's why we wound up staying kind of so far away um, just because it was way more cost affordable. So it's a really cool restaurant. It sucks that it burned down, uh, especially it being, you know, like a three Michelin star restaurant. It's one of the two in Napa with the other one, uh, Napa Valley, I should say, with the other one being the French Laundry. Um, so you can still eat at the Charter Oak. That's still open as well as the restaurant that he has in China. If for some reason you're over in China or if you're listening to this from China, um, so check those out, I guess you can check out their Instagram too as well, but mostly I don't think they've really posted much since the restaurant burned down. They had a lot of condolences and stuff coming through of different people that ate there, different chefs in the industry too, as well. Um, they said they're going to rebuild it. They said it doesn't really, you know, the owners and stuff were like, we don't really care what the cost is. We're going to rebuild it. We're going to bring it back the way it was. So Time will tell uh, if they're able to kind of follow through with that. Who knows? I mean, you just can't bank on any of this stuff with coronavirus and costs and all that stuff too. So, you know, who knows, but uh, sad to see it burn down. Hopefully it comes back, but um, yeah, check out, you know, you can check out their Instagram and kind of like all their old dishes. Also check out the, the website. I have the uh, course breakdown there and everything too. So check all that stuff out. Appreciate everybody listening. Um, not sure what the next episode will be. Um, but wanted to get this one out, just, you know, record these a little bit in advance. So wanted to get this out since it was recently in the news that it just burned down, uh, and that nobody can eat there. I don't know if they'll get, I'm guessing that, uh, they're still going to get them three Michelin stars. Um, 
I got to imagine the Michelin guide would just kind of give it to them. Even if they didn't review them just cause they burned down, they're not going to be around for a while. This would be the last year that they would ha- have them temporarily until the restaurant's back up and running. And, just, but it would still have to be the same executive chef too, as well. So who knows if Custo's still around, if it takes him two years to rebuild the place, he might open another restaurant elsewhere or something and just end it as, you know, that was his time there for, you know, 12 years or, or whatever, who knows, you know, you're trying to look inside the mind of somebody and, you know, stuff just happened. So, um, but like I said, appreciate everybody listening, subscribing to the podcast, just doing the two a week now with the restaurant reviews on Monday parts now known on Wednesdays and, uh, everything's going great. Hopefully everybody's staying safe and we'll talk to you guys next week.